views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Good morning and welcome to this broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed and I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. It is July the 5th. It is a Friday morning broadcasting here from North Carolina. Hope that you all survived the July 4th celebrations because some people did not and more on that later. Uh, please continue to support the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project, which manages blacktalkradionetwork.com. Uh, we'll be hitting our 12-year anniversary in a few months, uh, I believe, yeah, in November. Uh, please continue to support. You can make a financial contribution, tax-deductible, of course, by using our PayPal account, uh, which you'll see it listed on our website. You can make a one-time donation, sign up for a monthly donation. We really appreciate those. Also, you can join btrcommunity.com, which is a social media network very similar to Facebook, although we don't have all the bells and whistles because um, we don't have the resources to uh, add those things right now. Um, but it's just $24 a year. There's no data mining. Nobody's trying to sell you anything. There's no advertisement unless it's by the members themselves. And for just $24 a year, you can become a part of that social media community that was set up specifically for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network. Of course, contributions go to the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. Also, if you're in the market for women's diamond engagement rings, handcrafted engagement rings, handcrafted jewelry, uh, diamond bands for women, Gabriel and Co. Jewelry represents a wide selection of those items, and you definitely can go there and through our uh, website. And any purchase that you make from that website within 120 days, a 5% commission will go to the Black Talk Media Project. Um, you can get to their website by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com slash link out slash 45037. In case you're not on Black Talk Radio Network, as you listen to this broadcast, again, you can um, make those purchases by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com slash linkout slash 45037. All right, so I hope that um, you know, no one got injured, no one got arrested yesterday uh, during July 4th. Celebrations for those that 
they do celebrate it. And even if you don't celebrate it, uh, you still can be a casualty of those festivities. I was just reading, going over the news this morning prior to this broadcast. And I saw in Texas where a road rage incident where someone fired um, a gun into a family's vehicle and I don't know how much fireworks they must have had a lot of fireworks in that vehicle but it set it it set off an explosion the vehicle was on fire Um, I'm not sure about if there was any casualties and that was all from a road rage incident so um, you know I, I do not celebrate 4th of July. I really don't celebrate any holidays uh, whatsoever. I do celebrate family members' birthdays, which uh, we did uh, do that yesterday with one of my cousins uh, who was born on July the 4th, and we had an indoor cookout for him. And um, so it, it was nice. Uh, we do something. We come together, but we never celebrate. We don't be flying any flags or any of that type of stuff, or buying bunting, you know, red, white, and blue bunting, and making a big deal out of it, Um, because we know, um, and I'm just so proud of my family that uh, they have been receptive to the information I share with them that slavery was never abolished in this country. 13th Amendment makes that clear, so what do we have to celebrate uh, when we talk about freedom and liberty? and I got a couple of stories that I'm going to share with you that's that's related to that. But uh, the main stories, let me just go briefly through uh, what I'll be sharing with you this morning. Trump flubbed the 4th of July speech uh, during that celebration that's likely to cost millions to taxpayers. And I did watch it. Uh, my niece was like, Uncle Scotty, why are you watching that? And I was like, well, you know, I do do a political radio, a political news talk show. So I I have to watch uh, certain things. And and I have to say, I did not think that his speech was partisan, um, but he did make some major flubs uh, during that speech. And also uh, in Washington, D.C., during or after the celebrations or during the celebration, I'm not sure during the spectacle there was another spectacle. But what really stood out to me was this black woman who seemingly lost her mind and was fighting with protesters who were staging a U.S. flag burning. Um, The majority of the protesters that were burning this flag were white people. And this black woman uh, uh, joined in with some other white people, some some Trump supporters, um, obviously, and uh, tried to stop this peaceful protest and burning this flag. And I have the clip, and I'm going to play that for you. But uh, as I stated yesterday on Twitter, this is more evidence that um, black folks need their reparations so that we can get mental health treatment because some of us have lost our minds, and, and it was just so sad to see. Um, Also, I got an HR 40 update for you. I will be sharing the names of the eight black U.S. Congress members who have failed to sponsor the reparations study bill, HR 40. Um, So definitely you should know who they are. Um, By the way, I saw um, some people standing outside of Mitch McConnell's home. I think it was yesterday, not yesterday, uh, maybe the day before yesterday. Some of them were holding signs, um, uh, hashtag ADOS, 
it actually appeared to be um, new Black Panther Party members or something. But they were standing outside of his home. Some of them had bullhorns and what have you. And they were protesting his comments about H.R. 40 and saying black folks have already gotten reparations. We passed the Civil Rights Bill. Uh, We elected Barack Obama. And so he's against reparations uh, and he's not just against reparations. He doesn't even want to issue study because that's what H.R. 40 does. H.R. Uh, 40 does not cut a check. H.R. Uh, 40 is a study um, commit commission that would study what form reparations would take. I think it's already a foregone conclusion. Of course, they're going to do some some studying or discovery and um, providing evidence on why the U.S. government um, and the states owe reparations um, to African American people. Well, I should say African um, descendants of slaves, uh, victims of slavery. I don't like using that term slaves because uh, it's a dehumanizing term. These were not slaves. These were captives. These were victims. And I, I think we do them a disservice when we refer to uh, ancestors as slaves. Okay. But H.R. 40 um, would set the parameters of who qualifies for reparations, what form reparations will take. It's just a study commission, right? Um, a lot of people don't even want that to happen because they know that it could lead to uh, reparations. But the thing that stuck out to me was the very uncodified language that some of those uh, protesters um, were, were saying, uh, the language they were using, and calling Mitch McConnell a white devil. And we know that there's a certain segment among us who who talk like that, um, very uncodified. Um, we know some people get kicks out of hearing that type of stuff. And, you know, they think it's funny and, and all of that. But I'm like, okay, what is the purpose of this protest? Is it to change his mind? Uh, on H.R. 40 um, because I don't think anybody's going to change their mind and you're calling them white devils and and stuff like that. That's name calling. Um, That is one of the 10 basic stops that victims of racism should practice in speech and or action. And I I was just taken aback by that. Um, Not taken aback by the protests outside his house. I definitely support that. Um, But the language that you use because now people are going to be more focused on your language and not so much on the argument because I don't think there was an argument being made uh, uh, to uh, Mitch McConnell who may not have even been at home. I don't know. Um, but I, I just thought that, you know, that was not a uh, constructive way to persuade a member of the Senate majority leader uh, to come around to supporting reparations. Now, I have to also um, wonder if these eight black U.S. Congress members who have failed to sponsor the reparations study bill, um, will they be targeted? And when I say targeted, um, I don't mean that in a violent way or a unconstructive way, but um, will there be any gatherings or assemblies outside of their offices or outside of their homes and asking why are you the only uh, black members of Congress who are not co-sponsors 
of HR 40. So, I, you know, I'm going to share those names with you. Now, um, switching, we'll also look at international news because there's a lot of important stuff that happens in the world that affects us um, here as well because usually the U.S. government is in the center of it. Um, but anyway, I noticed that since those protests um, took place in Hong Kong, they're probably still ongoing. Uh, I'm not sure. But I, pay, I always pay attention to how the media frames things and how government officials, um, the type of language that they use. And I noticed that Western media and, and governments, including um, officials like U.S. Vice President Mike Pence, are excusing the violent protests in Hong Kong and calling those who were engaged in the violent destruction of government property and also attacked the police, well, you know, they're freedom fighters. They're freedom fighters. But as I posted to social media yesterday, I was like, now, notice this. Notice, take note of how the Western media is framing these rioters as freedom fighters, and they're just fighting for liberty and freedom. And then recall... How protesters during Ferguson, during Baltimore, the incident in Dallas, and whenever African Americans um, fight for their liberty and freedom and freedom from oppression, especially police violence, oh, then, you know, they're thugs, they're criminals that need to be put down. So no, no, just note that, you know, um, it may not be a big thing to you, but it is a big thing to me because uh, propaganda in the form of media can control the minds of the masses. A lot of people get misinformed or their opinions and perceptions are shaped by propaganda. Now, also speaking of protests, Ethiopian Jews, black Jews, have erupted in Israel over the off-duty police shooting of a young black man. And that has been going on for years now. Um, white supremacy is being practiced by the Israeli government. Um, all of the Jews are, are not the same skin color. Some, uh, some of them are Ashkenazi, um, come from Europe. Um, come from the United States, and then you have others who come from Ethiopia, um, the birthplace of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Um, so these Ethiopian Jews for quite some time have been facing racist discrimination in that country. And um, I was reading the CNN. I'm not even going to share that one with you, um, but I do have some clips I'm going to play. Um, from uh, Ethiopian activist uh, or organizational leader from an interview she gave. But I was reading a CNN article, and it, it, it reminded me of something that Barack Obama said when he was president about black people protesting. I think this was what was going on. This was when Trayvon Martin was shot and killed by George Zimmerman. And Barack Obama said that black people perceive that they're being discriminated against or they perceive that injustices is being committed against them. And I'm like, man, 
No, it's not a perception. It's not just, you know, we perceive these things. These are facts. These are facts. These are happening. There is plenty of data that shows that it's happening. And so CNN, when it finally, because I had been mentioning how the mainstream media here in the United States have ignored the Black Lives Matter um, movement in Ethiopia, um, with these black Jews protesting over a number of years and little to no coverage from the U.S. mainstream media. So I was kind of surprised that I saw at least two articles posted about it. Um, CNN, I read their article yesterday, and they was using a whole lot of that same language. Oh, these Ethiopian Jews perceive that they're being mistreated. They perceive that injustices are being committed against them. When and and they name they mostly stuck to well they stuck to economic issues saying that uh Ethiopian Jews are on the bottom of the economic ladder. Very similar to black uh uh African Americans and black people here in the United States. Very on the bottom, on the bottom in every economic category, um, um, uh, uh, arrests, you know, disproportionate arrests, heavy handedness uh, directed towards them. Um, of course, they talked about the police shootings um, and then but it left out one major key thing. And this is something that the Israeli government uh, uh, admitted itself. And even, you know, uh, Israeli-based newspapers have reported on this. But the the Israeli government, you might have heard about how those African refugees, now I'm not talking about Ethiopian Jews, black Jews, but refugees fleeing war-torn regions uh, in northern and eastern Africa, um, making their way to Israel, and how they were put into Concentration camps, um, yeah, put in the concentration camps, similar to what you see going on in the sub on the southern border of the United States right now, uh, with the victims of the Monroe Doctrine. Uh, go look that up if you don't know what that what Monroe Doctrine is. But they to to um, in order for those African migrants to get out the camps, they had to agree to. Uh, birth control, uh, taking Depo-Vera shots and, and what have you um, as a condition of their release. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, the Trump administration hasn't proposed something similar. Um, but anyway, um, but it wasn't just happening to those African, African refugees from various nations. The Israeli government carried out a, a eugenics program to cut the birth rate of Ethiopian Jews. Um, I, they were giving these women shots and other medication, birth control medication, without their knowledge. Um, more than likely lying to them about what the shots were for or the medication was for. And it was birth control. And they uh, cut their birth rate in half in under 10 years. CNN did not mention that. Did they? Um, so anyway, um, I, I took note of that yesterday. Um, but I will be playing some clips uh, from um, uh, Ethiopian Jew being interviewed, um, talking about the issues that they face. 
Now, also, very important news. Um, y'all may have heard, may not have, that the United Kingdom, Britain, the UK, uh, the UK Marines seized a Iranian oil tanker that was making its way to Syria. And uh, Iran uh, is very angry about that. Um, they also summoned the UK ambassador. Um, and they said, um, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard said, uh, we're going to be forced to seize a British oil tanker. So um, not only that, but Iran is now threatening to enrich uranium to weapons-grade levels, which means that they could have a nuclear weapon in under a year uh, if they make good on that, on that uh, threat or promise, however you want to frame it. Um, but most of the media is framing it as Iran is breaking the JPOA, whatever it's called. I, I can't remember the acronyms, but uh, the Iranian nuclear agreement, um, the, what was it, the J5 plus one. Um, and Western media has been portraying it like, oh, the Iranians is breaking the treaty and, and all this and that. When it's the United States that pulled out the treaty, it's the United States that, that escalated the situation by putting even more harsher sanctions that's punishing the civilian population in Iran. So, um, you know, it's the United States government that uh, been making all of this bombastic um, uh, threats towards Iran. They were adhering to the agreement. But as history shows, the United States government cannot be trusted. Um, they break their word all the time. They break treaties all the time uh, throughout history they have done this and so it, it, it should come it's no surprise that um, then comes the Trump administration and here's another treaty broken but again you have to be very cognizant that a lot of media in the United States is not objective it's not professional journalism but it's a propaganda operation alright so those are the stories that I'm going to share with you today and if you have a question or comment, uh, please get them in quickly uh, during the broadcast. The telephone number is 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice to unmute yourself, just in case I'm not looking at the board, because um, I have to alternate between looking at the board as well as um, you know, uh, uh, pulling up the articles and sharing the information with you. Um, just say excuse me or, or something like that to let me know um, that you're there if I don't come to you in a timely um, manner. Um, so, the again, telephone number 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Um, hit the star key twice uh, to unmute yourself. Um, the program notes, uh, just articles, my sources that I will be sharing with you during the course of this broadcast. Um, you can find them on btrcommunity.com. Uh, the thread for today's broadcast uh, on my profile in BTR Community. Um, although you should get a membership, you don't have to have a membership. I made those uh, notes public in the, or that thread public so anybody can see it. And it is linked up to you in today, um, from today's uh, broadcast page on blacktalkradionetwork.com. 
So um, let's jump right into uh, some of these stories. Now, this is <laughs> this started trending yesterday um, on social media, and it's still trending today. And people are just getting a kick out of Trump mistakenly claiming that revolutionary war soldiers took over airports <laughs> in the salute to America's speech. Now, before I get into that, listen. There's a lot. Uh, there was a lot of uh, criticism, and and you know it was justified uh, considering Trump's uh, uncodified language and bombastic uh, language since he's been president and the things that he do. And um, they were saying that this was going to be a partisan event. It's going to be like a campaign rally for him and all that. So I mean, I mean, I watched it yesterday. I did not get that. Uh, from his speech um, I found a lot of contradictions but a lot of U.S. officials contradict I mean how you gonna praise a slaver like uh, George Washington Thomas Jefferson and then in the next breath praising Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman which he did but that's a contradiction you know that's a contradiction um, I, I do not describe slavers as great people, you know, um, I, I just simply don't do that. Um, a lot of people do, but I, you know, the usual contradictions of this was founded as a nation on liberty, freedom, and justice for all. Um, but no mention of, except for, um, you know, even if you want to be codified and say, but we have to also recognize that in many ways, these people were hypocrites and they weren't true to that creed. Um, um, and you know, they did this, that, and the other, and they was practicing slavery and, and all kind of crimes against humanity and, and what have you. So, so anyway, you just wanted to get that out the way. I did not find the speech to be partisan. I did find it to be, uh, very contradictory. <clears throat> now, Trump mistakenly uh, let me pull up the article from thehill.com. This is coming to you from thehill.com. A President Trump appeared to stumble a little over his prepared remarks on July the 4th, claiming that Revolutionary Army soldiers took over airports in 1775. Now, I, I, I'm waiting on this clip. Let me go ahead and, and cue this up. Sure of Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. Our army manned the airport. It ran the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. And at Fort McHenry, under the rocket's red glare, it had nothing but victory. And when dawn came, their star-spangled banner waved defiant um i'm not sure who prepared trump's speech i don't know if he wrote it himself um i'm not sure uh usually you know presidents have speech writers that write their speeches um but obviously during the revolutionary war in the 1700s late 1700s um there were no airplanes, so therefore there were no airports. 
Um, so I'm like, man, um, who wrote that for him? Did he write that for himself? And if somebody else wrote that, I'm then thinking, okay, did they do that on purpose? Or was that not what was written up, but what somebody put in, on the teleprompter um, to to punk uh, Trump? You know, they prank him. I guess it's a better word I should use. Uh, prank <laughs> Trump. I don't put it past some jokester doing that on purpose and he just reading off the teleprompter as someone pointed out, you know, about, I don't know the name of this movie, but there was a character, a news person named Ron Burgundy and he would read whatever you put on the teleprompter, no matter what it said. And, and so someone shared a clip of that. And so that appears to be what Trump did there. Um, claiming that Revolutionary Army soldiers took over airports in 1775. (laughs) And so the Internet's been having fun with that. Um, And I I think it's not going to be anytime soon that he's going to be able to live that down because, you know, uh, people love picking at Trump. Um, not that it's undeserving. Um, some of it is, some, uh, most of it is. Uh, a lot of it is just, you know, pettiness and, and what have you. But that's a major flub. Um, the Wright brothers didn't even invent the first powered aircraft until 1903. But okay, talk about revisionist history. So people been having fun uh, with that. Um, now, also. How much did this cost yesterday? Um, That's something that people have, I feel like, are legitimately raising. I saw a cartoon uh, um, parodying the Tiananmen Square um, protester who stood in front of tanks in China, and someone made a cartoon showing a homeless veteran standing in front of American tanks in Washington, uh, D.C., and people have been talking about the millions of dollars that Trump is having, um, the park services, and, and, you know, all of this is costing millions of dollars. And why not use that, better use that money um, to uh, help homeless veterans and what have you. So um, this comes to you from CNN.com. It's about fact-checking the cost of the July the 4th. July 4th, salute to America, as Trump uh, called it. Um, President Donald Trump on Wednesday defended his upcoming salute to America event, a ramped up July 4th celebration in Washington amid criticism of its likely high price tag and potentially partisan undertones. I did, again, I did not get that uh, from um, the celebrations. Uh, It was just a celebration of militarism and what have you. Uh, The cost of our great salute to America tomorrow will be very little compared to what it is worth. We own the planes. We have the pilots. The airport is right next door. Talking about Andrews Airport. All we need is the fuel. We own the tanks and all fireworks are donated by two of the greats. Nice. Trump tweeted on Wednesday morning. Um, Facts first. 
The White House and federal agencies involved in the Salute to America event declined to provide cost estimates, so it's impossible to determine the exact price tag. Still, it's safe to say that the cost incurred by the federal government, as well as the city of Washington, D.C., which has a huge homeless population, and I got to witness that a couple of years ago uh, when I traveled to Washington, D.C. for the uh, millions for prisoners, human rights, march, and abolitionist uh, rally that we held in Lafayette Park across from the White House. Lots of homeless people, lots of homeless people uh, in Washington, D.C. And other regional economies will be in the millions of dollars and go well beyond the cost of fuel and include security and logistical costs. In addition, many of the planes are coming from much farther than right next door. The involvement of military assets from fighter jets to tanks to armored vehicles has created logistical headaches that are likely to take lots of money to resolve. But beyond the military demonstration, Trump's planned presence on the National Mall will likely rack up huge security costs that go beyond what a traditional July 4th event requires. The D.C. National Guard says it called up approximately 800 members to help control traffic and secure the streets and metro transit system on the day of the events. Uh, so you had a military occupation uh, of Washington, D.C. A military official told CNN the number is actually 900 members, which would be nearly triple the typical 300-person activation for July 4th activities in Washington, the official said. So that was a that was a, a, an entire battalion um, that they had um, occupying the streets of Washington, D.C. and uh, transit system. Uh, 800 is a battalion, uh, unless they've changed the numbers since I was last in, in the military. So it's likely that this was going to, uh, uh, it's going to cost, um, let me see, the Washington Post reported that to cover the cost of the event, the National Park Service had to dip into its interests entrance in recreation fee fund for 2.5 million likely just a fraction of what the interior department and other agencies will spend on the event overall so you know and that costs taxpayers money this huge uh, celebration of america or whatever he he was calling it um, a lot of people were saying that uh, he wants to be like uh, these other nations that have military parades and, and what have you. And I, I think this was pretty much unprecedented, uh, the participation of the military in this July 4th event. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I think it was uh, unprecedented. I, I don't think this has ever um, occurred before. And again, it's going to cost millions of dollars. Um, now, before we transition to H.R. 40, um, Man, I tell you, I was uh, sad to see this black woman out there yesterday fighting to protect the U.S. flag and telling people, the protesters, who the majority of them was white. I only seen one black guy. I think there may have been an Asian or Hispanic person, but um, the majority of the people who were burning the flag looked white to me. Um, And the thugs that were trying to interrupt their peaceful protests and, and engaging in their constitutional 
First Amendment uh, protected uh, right to burn a flag because the Supreme Court has already ruled that that is an expression of free speech and therefore is protected by the Constitution. So you had these thugs um, out there um, who who don't respect the Constitution, don't respect people's constitutional rights, uh, getting emotional and what have you, and attacking uh, those protesters trying to prevent them from from uh, burning uh, this flag. And as I watched the video, um, I was like, man, that dude almost got set on fire. Um, one of the guys that was trying to interrupt it, a uh, white guy, a big puff of fire and what have you. But then I continued to watch, and I heard this woman saying, get out the country then, get out the country. And it was a black woman fighting um, helping the criminals and the thugs um, to interrupt this peaceful protest and stop these people from engaging in their constitutional right. And I was like, man, this woman needs her reparations. She, If she is the descendants of victims of slavery, she needs her reparations because she needs psychological help. You out there fighting white people trying to burn their flag? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, if, if the flag belongs to all U.S. citizens, uh, that's their flag too. And and really, technically, literally, it's their flag because they bought it. Are you going to stop them from doing what they will with their property over some symbolism, over some nationalism? This is sick. It's sick for anybody to do it, but particularly sick for a non-white person specifically a black person to be out there rioting with these people, fighting with these people to stop them from engaging in peaceful protests. So let's roll that clip and uh, hopefully it'll be loud enough for you to hear, but listen for the black woman and you can see the clip by going to um, BTR news excuse me, btrcommunity.com, our social media community for my and my thread for today's broadcast. So let me cue this up and so you can hear it. So the clip cuts off right there. Um, they were saying uh, one, two, three, four. What are they saying? Genocide, slavery, and war. Um, saying America was never great. Um, oh, I recognize this one black person. That's Carl Dix. I know Carl Dix. I've interviewed Carl Dix uh, over the years. 
Um, so um, I forget the name of the group that he is a part of, but Carl Dix was one of the protesters. Um, so I see one, two, three black people who were among the protesters. There is an Asian person as part of the protest, uh, the Bernie's flag, um, and a lot of white males and females part of the protesters. Um, and um, they look to be, you know, I ain't going to call them old or, or anything like that, but, you know, at least 50 years old or more. Um, so, um but did you hear the black woman? I mean, she came running in there violently pushing people. Get the F out the country then. Get the F out the country then. Listen, this woman isn't a coon. She isn't a sambo. She isn't any derogatory name that we come up for black people uh, when they engage in stuff that we don't agree with. No, she's a victim of racism just like the rest of us. And one of the things that uh, uh, this racist system has done is retard the mental capacity of black people and other non-white people, whether we're talking about the uh, 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 the less than uh, truthful history uh that we get in school, the less than adequate, I should say, adequate education that we get in their schools, um, just the propaganda and what she's a victim. She's a victim. Um, she's not a coon. She's not a sambo or any other kind of derogatory name. She is a black woman in need of mental health treatment because how are you going to risk yourself going to jail um, and I, I would hope that nobody went to jail. I hope she didn't go to jail. Um, the racist suspects that went in there to break up the peaceful, uh, protest, you know, well, if, if I'm a practice justice, I can't be about justice for some and, and excusing other people, but the court should take into consideration that this woman is not in her right mind, this black woman's not in her right mind um, with her doing that and her uncodified, incorrect behavior. Telling somebody to get the F out the country then? Man, that that is so incorrect. And for those people that believe in the power of prayer, please pray for this woman. I don't know her name or, or anything. Get a visualization again. Go watch the video and pray for this woman. If I, if I knew her name, uh, you know, I will put her name out there, not so that you can mock her, not so that you can harass her, but so you can start a fundraiser for her to get some psychiatric help. So, so I, I believe, you know, we want to talk about reparations, which I'm going to transition to here. Um, reparations can take more, uh, 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 take many forms and should take various forms. And I feel like the people that just out here talking about cut a check, cut a check, you are you are you are you are diminishing the movement for reparations. Um, you really are. Um, not saying that uh, a, a monetary compensation for not just slavery, but Jim Crow, the convict leasing program, or the uh, uh, what they call mass incarceration, but it's really a continuation of slavery. And because the 13th Amendment says so, um, the documented discrimination um, that we face in employment and education in the healthcare in every people activity area. So um, those there are people who just want to limit it to slavery. 
and it, it and, and it's not. No, that's not um, what the claim is. And and so uh, mental health treatment, free mental health treatment, um, should be provided to the descendants of victims of slavery and terrorism and white supremacy. Um, yeah, because it, this is evidence that some of us are not in our our right minds, and we all suffer. You know, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and I wouldn't even call it post-traumatic stress disorder. I would call it current traumatic uh, stress disorder because it's not like, um, um, you know, it's in the past. It's still happening. I I had to quit watching um, every time a black person gets shot. You know, this gets circulated on social media and the mainstream media. That brings me stress. That causes stress, uh, mental and physical stress. And I can't watch that type of stuff constantly, you know. And and I don't need to see the actual deed to know that the deed was done. Um, for many people, that's a form of entertainment. And, and no, I am not going to give my energy to that, um, you know. Um, so, it, you know, the people that need to see that is a judge and a jury um, after they are uh, deliberating um, uh, the pro- in the prosecution of the killer slave catcher, um, which a lot of times, like Colin Kaepernick say, get paid vacation and don't get uh, charged uh, for killing people. Uh, murdering people and what have you. Oh, they can just claim like, and I, I, I don't quote me on this, but I read that the, I just looked at the headline cause I was um, kind of pressed for time. But, um, and then sometimes people, when they summarize the article, they don't summarize it properly. Um, but I had seen a summarization of an article saying the Supreme Court ruled that a cop can shoot you as long as they say that you don't have to be threatening them, but as long as the officer perceives that you're a threat and, and, and says something about fearing for my life, then, you know, it's lawful for them to kill you. Um, so, But don't quote me on that. I didn't get the details, but that was somebody's um, summary. But that's ongoing trauma, you know? So. Uh, let me see. Let me take a a no. I'm gonna go ahead and move into um, this thing about HR 40. Um, in case you did not know, um, in Cobra, um, the 20 something year organization that has been on the front lines um, working um, with to put pressure on members of Congress to introduce a reparations bill, H.R. 40 again, um, is to set up a study commission um, to gather the evidence in, into the public record, um, even though, you know, which is evidence, you've already had the both uh, houses of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives, already issue apologies and acknowledge this crime against humanity um, so that can be entered into the public record the HR 40 bill is simply the study commission that will gather the evidence then come up with recommendations for reparation proposals and again mental health treatment should be um, part of that but of course I, I would be um, angry if I didn't mention that any reparations movement should include the repeal and placement of the 13th amendment 
and 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 um and then the states would I would think be you know have to be follow, follow suit or we could then file lawsuits against the states that still have that uh, exception for slavery if we convict you of a crime um then we file lawsuits and say that it's unconstitutional but right now um involuntary servitude and slavery as punishment for crime is constitutional it's in the 13th amendment so gotta repeal and replace that with an amendment that abolishes slavery in all its forms but um i digress the um in cobra um does have a hour-long radio program on our network to uh, update us on the things that they're doing uh, in any HR 40 news. It comes on Monday nights at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on the first and third Monday. Um, first and third Monday, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. So on the last broadcast, in the name of the, pro- uh, and you can go listen to it, um, the archives are on blacktalkradionetwork.com that, um, this past Monday was their second broadcast. But on the last broadcast of Conversation Reparations on, on this network, they told us about HR 40 having more sponsors than ever before. Um, I believe it was stated that it has about 90 sponsors. And that's the most that it's ever had double of what it's had in the past. In the past, I think it was mentioned that the most it ever gotten was 40 or, or 50. Now it has uh, 90, might be 91. Um, but they mentioned that all of the members of the Black Congressional Caucus, um, these are African Americans, black people who have been elected to Congress, and eight of them have not co-sponsored H.R. 40. Now, let me explain it in the context of which was explained by the host of Conversations Reparations. Now, uh, um, they said that John Conyers, and who's no longer in Congress, um, but he had introduced a H.R. 40 bill every year since, uh, what, 1989? Some, somewhere along those lines. Um, but for over a decade, over two decades possibly, uh, that Conyers had been introducing the HR 40 bill. And Conyers had told uh, members of Encobra that was lobbying him um, that if you can get it up to 100 co sponsors, it's a good chance that the bill will pass. So it's closer than ever before. 90 co sponsors. So, but that's still 10 away from what's needed unless some more co-sponsors have have joined on to that bill since uh, Monday night's broadcast. But um, eight of them who have not co-sponsored this bill, again, we're talking about black members of Congress, I'm going to share their names with you, um, non-co-sponsors of H.R. 40, um, people are calling this the Hall of Shame. Um, it says... Uh, Representative Mark, that's Mark with a C, V-C, V-E-A-S-E-Y. And I have their pictures and everything posted, Um, a a meme that was created. I posted it on the social media. It's mbtrcommunity.com in my show notes for today. But it's Mark V.C., Representative David Scott, Representative Emmanuel Cleaver, 
and I think Emmanuel Cleaver, if I'm not mistaken, him with somebody else is was a member of the Black Panther Party back in the day. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think he was. Uh, Stephen, Representative Stephen Horsford, um, Antonio Delgado, Colin Allred, Representative Lauren Underwood, and Representative Lucy Macbeth. Man, she was one of the moms of the murder that Hillary Clinton was out there pimping on stage and exploiting them for the black vote, pandering for the black vote and what have you. She's because her son of uh, Jordan, I believe his name was, he had a different last name than her. Um, but he was murdered um, by a suspected racist in Florida. Um, was that Florida? I think he was in Florida. Was it Georgia? Because I know she is. It might have been Florida, um, but she lives in Georgia, and she's representing a district out of Georgia. So that's eight members right there, unless they've uh, signed on as co-sponsors of HR 40 since Monday night's broadcast. Um, these are the eight. And I'm going to say them once again. Mark Vesey, David Scott, Emmanuel Cleaver, Stephen Horsford, Antonio Delgado, Colin Allred, Lauren Underwood, and Lucy Macbeth. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, um, how are we going? I don't even care why they support or don't support it or haven't signed on as co-sponsors, I, you know. I don't even care to 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 um, debate whether or not what their reasoning is. I want to know what's the plan to get them to become co-sponsors and calling them names and being belligerent and standing outside their offices with bullhorns and calling them coons or 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 Uncle Tom's and uh, that's not gonna get it done. That's not going to get it done. Do you really think you could get me to do something by calling me out my name and, and threatening me and being belligerent and, and acting childish? No, you're not going to get me to do anything. In fact, you're going to solidify my current stance of not doing what you want me to do. You know, see, we have to, th we have to think with our brains and not with our hearts or our emotions and what have you. We can be passionate about stuff. Nothing wrong with passion. We need passion, but we need to be codified whenever we're engaging people, trying to get them to do something um, in the interest of justice. So I want to know, what's the plan? What's the plan? Um, I have to see if these people are on Twitter, and I'll start tweeting at them. And I'll be like, please sign co-sponsor HR 40. Um, we need to study this. We need to come up with um, repertory policies to to heal uh, un uh, injured people. And, and you know, I, I'll think of something codified um, to try to bring them around, uh, share statistics with them about the impact of slavery, Jim Crow terrorism, um, the drug war, uh, you know, I'll share those stats with them. Um, but I, what I won't, won't do, I'm not going to call them cones. I'm not going to call them Uncle Tom's. I'm, 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 no, that's, and that's uncodified, man. That's uncodified. It's incorrect. And it's likely to put, to make the people, um, um, uh, be steadfast in their position of not 
supposed because usually when you come at people like that, that's that's gonna be the result. They're gonna do the exact opposite of what you want them to do. Who knows? They might have been in their mind or behind closed doors leaning towards doing what you wanted them to do. But then you came out and you was calling them coons and you was calling them Uncle Toms and all that. And then out of spite, then they're going to not do what is uh, you want them to do. Um, you know, that's just strategy, man, um, and being codified. All right, so I'll leave it uh, there. I'm going to take a, what, five minutes to the top of the hour. Um, I still have uh, several more stories going to go international now um, and point out some more hypocrisy from uh, mainstream U.S.-based media, France to European-based media, to, um, uh, but also um, government officials, U.K. officials, Vice President Mike Pence, um, and their comments in portraying these rioter, rioters in Hong Kong as freedom fighters. But whenever black people in the United States rise up for their freedom from oppression, um, oh, we're thugs, we're criminals, we're animals, and we need to be uh, either shot down where we stand or put in a cage somewhere. All right, so I'm going to take a station identification break, a short music break uh, while I top off my coffee, and uh, then we'll come back. We'll jump to that story about the Hong Kong protesters. There's also, also um, protests against racism in Israel right now. Um, I mean, they have been blocking off streets, burning tires, destroying vehicles and what have you. Um, but nobody's calling them freedom fighters in the U.S. mainstream media. Uh, they're, like I said earlier, CNN is saying that these people perceive that there's some sort of injustice being committed against them. That's why it's good to know the definition of word, of words of the language that you speak. Um, because then you'll, you'll get a clue as to when someone is trying to get something, get over on you or get one over on you. Um, also, the Iranians are threatening to seize a British oil tanker after the British seize one of their tankers. Um, and they're also threatening to make weapons-grade uranium, which some experts say could result in them being able to produce a nuclear bomb uh, in under a year. And again, the media is framing this as Iran broke the sanctions, um, you know, it's all their fault when it was Donald Trump who caused all this uh, escalation. Listening to John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, uh, these are the type of people who laugh and joke about putting sanctions on countries and starving the people. Um, these are acts of war. And, and so, no, it's not Iran's fault. Iran is doing what it feels it needs to do um, to get, get uh, justice. Um, you know, they are a sovereign nation who, who are, who are any country to tell them what they can and cannot have when those countries have those things. Um, it's not like the U.S. has gotten rid of its stockpile of nuclear weapons. It's not like, um, Israel has ever been held to account for its known nuclear stockpile. Um, which has never been inspected by the U.S. Uh, uh, the international uh, community. So, um, you know, I, if I'm if I was Iranian, I'd be looking at that as as injustice and discrimination and and everything too. 
So, you know, I'm not I'm not saying I'm desirous of them to create a nuclear weapon. We need less. We need to be destroying nuclear weapons. But, um, you know, I have to recognize their sovereign right to do what they feel they need to do to protect themselves from other countries with nuclear weapons who are threatening them. All right. So those stories on the other side when we come back from this short break. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I broadcast this program uh, If Nothing Happened, God willing, every uh, Monday through Friday starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll be back on the other side. Escape of the world, they want to get up on their cell phone and relate with little girls. I can dig it to about five feet, 
11 inches, but the last inches where my digging stops, I don't do ditches. I won't put you to death, I brought your life through my sperm and my music. Yeah, I brought it twice, are we doing it? Live and direct, you feel how true we is. Eyewitnesses to the beauty of life, music is arrested, development powerful. We influence the music and revolution until we see more solutions. Hey. You feel how true we is, eyewitnesses to the beauty of life, music is arrested, development, powerful, we influence the music and revolution until we see more solutions, hey, everybody shake your head, check out the devil now, Lazarus, raising the dead, come out the tools, child, we're alive now, we're alive now, we're alive now, live it. Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. And welcome back to BTR News Live, this live broadcast. Um, if you're listening later on the podcast and you find the information to be useful and you think other people should have it, please share that podcast. And of course, uh, become a member of BTRcommunity.com. If you're not into social media, um, you can support the network by supporting the nonprofit with a tax deductible donation to the Black Talk Media Project. Just go to blacktalkradionetwork.com for more information so let's transition now to um, what I was speaking of before the break about the protests in Hong Kong now I have been reporting on this and I was just thinking you know about how absurd it is for people to be rioting in the street that um, you know over the passage of an extradition treaty or, or law that would allow for the extradition of quote-unquote criminals from Hong Kong, people who commit crimes to mainland China and, and you know, um, mainstream media has been portraying it as a, a freedom protest. They're fighting for their freedom and their liberty, although they don't um, paint 
um, African American protesters against police violence and and other mistreatment. They don't frame it in those terms. Um, but uh, here is a report from the South uh, China Post. This is going to give you some background if you don't understand what's going on. All right, so let's run it. Run this clip if I can get it to play. All right, here we go. Hello, I'm Yondun Latu at the South China Morning Post. Please note this very important disclaimer before I start. I'm not saying anything against the vast majority of protesters who continue to oppose the government's now suspended extradition bill by using peaceful means. You have to protect yourself with full context before you say anything these days because the age of intolerance is at the zenith in Hong Kong. And even raising an eyebrow at an out-of-control minority's propensity for anarchy and violence in the name of democracy gets you tarred and feathered as a nefarious agent of the Chinese Communist Party and an enemy of humanity. So again, not including those who have been taking to the streets in historic numbers to shock our lame duck government out of its arrogance and complacency, let's talk about the open contempt and complete impunity with which some of our younger citizens are now upending the rule of law in this city. It's outrageous enough that a bunch of unhinged youngsters have twice laid siege to police headquarters the very symbol of order and authority, and humiliated our law enforcers. Now they've taken it to a whole new level, besieging the city's legislature for an entire day, wrecking the building facade and smashing their way inside. They took hours to break in using makeshift battering rams, while riot police stood inside doing nothing, and disappeared when these heroes of free speech and expression stormed in and trashed the place. Our authorities looked on helplessly, the rest of the city and the world watching this unprecedented invasion and asking how it could happen, while students and young adults exercising their diminishing freedoms desecrated the main chamber and draped a colonial British flag over the podium to amplify just how much regard they have for any notion of one country while testing the limits of two systems. Also on the day that Hong Kong was marking the 22nd anniversary of its return to China, and the government was hiding from protesters by moving its celebrations indoors when it wasn't really raining outside, some criminal elements among these young champions of liberty were chucking drain cleaner and corrosive powder at police as they were beaten back with tear gas and truncheons. At the same time, even among the seemingly deranged and dangerous mob rugby tackling elderly lawmakers to the ground as they tore their way into the legislature, our reporters in the field found many kids who did not want to storm inside or join the violence. They were just tagging along. I don't know how all this is going to end, but I hope it won't be in tears for everyone. It looks like Beijing has made its bottom line very clear to the Hong Kong government. No bloodshed. That would explain why the law enforcers often have to stand back and let the lawbreakers do their thing, although many are asking whether it's a deliberate and cynical tactic to turn public opinion against the protesters. Or whether this police force can actually cope, which is a very worrying question. Well, they've started arresting people now, and we should let them do their job. This is basic law enforcement in a civilized society. And shame on the Western media and activist-journalist hybrids if they start painting these as mass arrests and state repression. They've done enough damage by glorifying or glossing over such misbehavior, lionizing the perpetrators and making excuses for them. We've all heard the Be Water, My Friend slogan. This adaptation of Bruce Lee's philosophy by protesters in imitating the relentless but constantly diverting and shape-shifting flow of water is cool stuff, but they should be careful about letting it get to their heads and waterlog their brains. If the legendary martial artist were alive today, he may well want to tweak his maxim with an added caveat. Be water, my friend, but don't be stupid. Thanks for watching.
All right, so that was a report from the South China Morning Post, which I believe is based in Hong Kong. Now, similar to what Hello, I was... Hello, I'm the South China Morning. Uh, similar to what I was reporting earlier during the broadcast about the black woman at the Trump celebration um, violently trying to break up a peaceful protest where some U.S. citizens were attempting to burn the U.S. flag. And my statement that she has a colonized mind, well, I didn't say she had a colonized mind, but she does. Um, but, you know, just how incorrect that was for her to violently try to break up that peaceful protest, pushing and shoving people and, and telling them to get the F out the country then, get the F out the country then. And so I didn't pick this up the first time I watched this report this morning as I was making preparation for uh, this morning's broadcast. But I missed the part where they said that these young uh, uh, people who were engaged in such massive violence in Hong Kong that the Western media has been portraying as freedom fighters hung a British flag, (laughs) hung a British flag in their uh, uh, legislative chambers that they took over. Um, that if that isn't a colonized mind, it's like they're screaming out for more European colonization. Um, so um, I thought that that was odd. So you know, uh, black people aren't the only ones who need uh, mental health treatment for those who want to cling to the symbols and the standards of colonizers. So um, now I want to shift gears. Um, not shift gears, but play another report. This comes to you from RT America, um, and it kind of speaks to Western governments, even though um, they're not talking about the United States, but Mike Pence was on Twitter calling these rioters, freedom fighters. Um, I mean, just imagine if, if, if a crowd of non-white people um, including any white allies, uh, counter-racist allies out there, what if they stormed the halls of Congress and broke in and 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 uh, planted the red, black, and green flag of black nationalism? Um, you know, in the in in the congressional chambers, man, man, they'd be it, it'd be a whole lot of dead people, wouldn't it? I mean, we see the violent response of police whenever there are protests in the United States and you know the very same things that he was saying and and, and of course there will be violence involved um, but you know violence begets violence that's biblical right there um, you saw what you read so I'm not going to sit up here and, and pretend like I'm one of those people who, who don't believe that violence has a place in movements for freedom they absolutely do um, but, you know, we African-Americans are not portrayed as freedom fighters. We're not portrayed as abolitionists um, whenever we engage in these protests and what have you. And and then you even have saboteurs who commit the acts of violence and, and what have you. And then some of them aren't saboteurs. They're just very uncodified people. And um, so let's run this clip from RT. China says ties with UK damage after interference in Hong Kong. Again, this is coming to you from RT. Uh, This lady who's been doing some great reporting for us, we're going to join her now. All this week, uh, the world has been focusing on Hong Kong, right? And, And 
You know, to hear most of these reports uh, from networks like, especially the BBC, I spent hours yesterday watching the BBC as most of these reports were being filed. What you get when you watch the BBC is that the entire problem in Hong Kong is placed squarely on Beijing. They're 100% at fault. In fact, here, let's go to them. Fortunately, I think that it's, if it's been breaking down, it's because of the behavior of the government in Beijing under Xi Jinping. They've been uh, involving themselves far more in Hong Kong's affairs. <laughs> Predictable, right? It's all China's fault. Completely China's fault. Look, it's not to say China's a perfect nation. They obviously have their problems. Who knows what they're doing? But it immediately got us to thinking when you have such an absolutist response like we just heard right there. Is it really all Beijing's fault? The more we looked into this, the more we found that the UK's hands, they're really not so clean. You know what I mean? Joining us now is uh, NRS correspondent Michelle Greenstein, who's been uh, looking into this. And once again, hey, lady, what did you uh, find? It's an old Jerry. It's too young for you, you wouldn't remember, but it's a great line from the past. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> what did you find? So firstly, that sound that we just listened to is part of a BBC segment that was 10 minutes long on the protests in Hong Kong. The man that we just heard speak was actually the governor of Hong Kong under British colonial rule. He was the last <laughs> British governor of Hong Kong. He uh, was governor until 1997, until the handover from Britain back to China. So interesting that that's the expert they uh, chose to give a voice to. Now let's talk about these protests because uh -huh. the BBC is not alone. A lot of Western corporate press have been leaving out important history and important context. So these protests appear to have started in response to a proposed bill that would amend existing extradition law where only for places where there's no existing extradition treaty. So it would allow Hong Kong to surrender fugitives on a case-by-case -case basis. It wouldn't compel them, it wouldn't disallow them, but it would allow them to on a case-by-case -case basis to countries with no treaty with mm. Hong Kong, including China. But the question we have to ask is, why does Hong Kong have its own legal system and its own extradition treaties? There's no other uh, city in the world that has its own extradition law. And the answer to that is because Hong Kong basic law, which is what it's called, is based on the British and Chinese joint agreement to hand Hong Kong over back from Britain to China. The return of Hong Kong to mm. China was predicated on China agreeing to these British terms. So this is why we have to talk about the history, the history that's missing from a lot of these BBC reports. Which is, because, which is, a, which is a dirty, nasty, ugly history, by the way. Absolutely. And that's the reason why we have this uh, one country, two systems rule, because the colony was returned back to China under this principle, and in that they kept much of this old colonial uh, legal system that existed under Britain. But if Britain hadn't occupied Hong Kong, it wouldn't have its own uh, independent legal system. But let's talk about that dirty, nasty history. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Britain and China, as we know, were involved in a war, basically the opium war, as we call it. The British essentially imposed opium on the Chinese population, essentially drugging an entire nation Correct. for profit. And in some cities, Rick, up to 80% of the men were hooked on this drug. And even large numbers of children were consuming it as well. So this is a history we can't forget when we're talking about what's happening It's like the opioid we're having here in this country, but times Absolutely. 20 or 30, right? Absolutely. And this drug was produced and transported by Britain intentionally. So what the reason this war uh, ended with Hong Kong being uh, given to Britain is because Britain invaded China and occupied Hong Kong, essentially in retaliation for ch the Chinese government destroying 20,000 chests of opium, because weirdly enough, they didn't want the Chinese people drugged uh, on opium. It's a really interesting <laughs> I wonder part why of their culture. They would want to do that. That's right. right. Yeah. So China 
China was actually forced to give Hong Kong back to the British after being defeated militarily by the British, and that's why we saw Hong Kong being returned to China in 1997. So these British handover terms, interestingly enough, didn't include voting rights. They didn't include anything about democracy, but what they did protect was, was private property rights, which is why it's very ironic for a lot of the Western corporate press, including the BBC, although the BBC is not alone, to be hailing themselves as beacons of democracy and saying, oh, we care so much about democracy in Hong Kong, when uh, the Hong Konger, under British uh, colonial rule, had no voting rights at all. So in actuality, they actually uh, perpetrated some uh, pretty bad democracy. That's right. While saying now that they are the beacons of democracy. That's right. And it's convenient and to use this pretext of human rights, of democracy, to vilify China, because we know the West is very heavily invested in dividing and weakening China right That's now. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing it's a sad it one, us. but yes. And it's one nobody heard this week while they were watching all these protests No mention of the Kong. opium wars. Oh it's wild. Oh, my God. What a coincidence. How bizarre. Right? Yeah. <laughs> nice job. Thank you. Okay, now, as I was listening to them uh, discuss the history of the U.K. government um, intentionally uh, importing drugs into Hong Kong and China, um, well, Hong Kong is China now, um, it, it was always uh, territorially um, part of China, um, but when I was listening to them about the opium wars now, and they talking about the opium uh, epidemic that's going on in the United States right now, but um, I don't believe that there's any foreign government um, that is involved in getting all these uh, U.S. citizens hooked on, on opioids and what have you. Uh, largely, that's been blamed on the pharmaceutical industry in, in the United States with um, some of these pharmaceuticals being sued uh, by state governments and what have you. I even read a report where a doctor... Um, well, a number of reports where doctors were prosecuted for overprescribing uh, op opioids. I mean, it even touched the little small town I live outside of uh, Mount Holly, where this doctor got busted uh, for prescribing op opioids in exchange for sex um, from from his victims and what have you. Um, so in, anyway, I also thought about what uh, I'm a black person. I know black history. Right. I know the history of the United States. And the crack cocaine epidemic, which the United States government, and this isn't some conspiracy theory, these are facts, um, where they, in the Iran-Contra scandal of the Reagan administration, trying to overthrow yet another country, but forbidden by Congress to fund, provide U.S. taxpayer funds to those uh, uh, people in Nicaragua, um, I believe it was Nicaragua, yeah, um, where, um, you know, they were prohibited from funding these death squads and what have you uh, in South America. And and so to get around that, uh, to facilitate the overthrow, the CIA uh, was brought in, uh, made a deal um, and allowed the Contras to smuggle dope, smuggle cocaine into the United States um, and, and directed at black communities across the United States, um, mainly urban areas where, where the populations are predominantly black, in order to obtain the funds to fund the Contras. And, and so, you know, that came to my mind. So um, these Europeans, white people, uh, have a history 
of using drugs. I mean, we can even go go back further in U.S. history and 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 giving alcohol and stuff, getting uh, Native Americans addicted to alcohol. And and so this is, seems to be a old tactic from the white supremacist um, playbook. So this is the type of report you're not going to get from uh, mainstream uh, U.S.-based media or any kind of Western uh, media. That's just a fact, and I have been monitoring. Um, so uh, very interesting um, historical perspective um, shared there. And uh, also, I wouldn't doubt if the CIA is behind the violent protesters or MI6. Um, the UK intelligence services, um, you know, speaking of U.S. Um, history, um, the CIA, and I'm sure aided by other governments, intelligence agencies, the whole Arab Spring thing. Now, it, I think it started in Tunisia um, where there was some riots and, and what have you, some uprisings, I should say. Um, and then it just spread all through these Muslim countries and uh, even uh, resulted in the toppling of Libya, which and, and that was manufactured. Um, you had terrorists supported by the CIA and the U.S. State Department um, who were funneling weapons and, and other logistic logistical support to those terrorists in Libya uh, seeking to overthrow uh, Libya's government uh, and its leader, Muammar Gaddafi. And it, the U.S. media played a role, just like they played a role in selling us uh, lies to get us into other wars, uh, lied saying that uh, African mercenaries was being uh, brought in by Gaddafi and given Viagra and they was going around raping people. And um, no, that's not what, what happened. That's not what happened. And by the way, uh, speaking of Libya, a bunch of African migrants have been murdered in Libya. They were being detained um, in in, in in a detention facility in a concentration camp. And, um, you know, because when Gaddafi was there, he was giving them African uh, refugees jobs and, and a place to live, um, fleeing from these war-torn nations. Well, um, those people who took over Libya are racist. They're racist Arabs. And they even started uh, having open market, uh, open air slave markets, um, slaving out, uh, selling these African migrants into slavery. Well, uh, one of those detention camps as, as civil war breaks out once again in Libya, um, it was hit by airstrikes, these detention facilities and hundreds are dead um, or missing. And then also as some of the detainees were fleeing um, this building that had been uh, bombed, uh, guards were shooting them down. Okay, so that's blood on on on, on uh, the Obama administration's hands, uh, specifically Hillary Clinton. You know, at least Obama has expressed some remorse in doing what he did. Not that saying "I'm sorry" makes up for the tremendous loss of life and the overthrow of their. Uh, internationally recognized uh, government, but uh, Hillary Clinton has made no such uh, contrition. So that's that report. Now, speaking of protests, speaking of freedom fighters, um, black Jews, Ethiopians nationally, um, um, who have 
gone to Israel to settle in Israel um, have been protesting another police shooting of a young black uh, Jew in that country. And as I stated at the beginning of the program, this has been going on for quite some time. They've been having their own Black Lives Matter uh, movement, and it really hasn't ever gotten a lot of press um, in the U.S., um, but even now, as I cited at the beginning of the program, CNN's report on it were basically saying that this oppression that these black Jews are are suffering at the hands of the Israeli government and its police apparatus are imagining things. That's what that's what it means when you say they perceive. When you say it in the context of they perceive injustice. They perceive that um, police brutality is happening to them. That's how CNN tried to frame it. But anyway, I'm going to run this po- um, a report about Ethiopian Israelis um, who have been protesting over yet another deadly shooting. At least 47 officers have been wounded, uh, 60 arrest in these violent protests as the Jerusalem Post calls it. They're not calling them freedom fighters or anything uh, like that. So let's run that report. Um, in this report, you will hear a Ethiopian activist uh, speaking on some of this stuff. And this is from the she Daily Dose. She's the Dose. chairwoman of the Association of Ethiopian Jews. Also with her, Daniel Ben-Simone, former Labor Party lawmaker and social activist. Efrat, the, I want to ask about the, the protests. It wasn't just in Haifa. They broke out in Ashdod, in Beersheba, in Tel Aviv. Part of it is because Ethiopian Israelis say there is a pervasive problem. It is in the organization problem. Of, with the police of racism and brutality, violence against Ethiopians. Is that true? Of course it's true. We, it's not the first uh, incident of, uh, of a, a young Ethiopian that has been uh, treated brut- br- brutally by the uh, police officer. We have the famous cases of uh, Yosef Salamsa and Judah Biadga last January. Uh, we have the case of Demas Picada, the guy with the uniform, the, the IDF uniform that uh, after that the, the, there were the big demonstration of 2015. So we, it's not a question of if it's a true or not. We know that there is a problem. And Why do you think that is? Why because, is because there is a problem of racism and violence and also a culture of lying in the police because we know that the police always uh, send a message to the media even before they have any investigation and they're always trying to cover up their problems instead of dealing with these problems. We want the police to take responsibility for these cases instead of sending the police officer to a, a vacation in, uh, in uh, Tel Aviv, they need to put him in jail or at least arrest him uh, and, not to, and not to send him uh, home. Okay, in your mind, what is it about this shooting, that this killing of this teenager that seems to have been the spark? Because today and yesterday, tomorrow, we're going to see protests all over the country. What, what's different about this case? I think uh, uh, it's um, the case of each each story. It's different story, but it tells the same story of the of the uh, policy of the. 
police. They don't change it. But the thing with, the, uh, uh, with this case is that we have data that it's not uh, out of nowhere. We have data that our organization got from the police, and uh, uh, there is 20% uh, rise in opening files for Ethiopian teenagers uh, comparing to the Jewish society, which is unproportioned. So when the police say, we're working on it, we're going to change it, we see that it does, nothing really changed since 2015. What? So this case is another case, and we don't think that it will be the last case when the police answer like this and they react like this to these kind of situations. In some neighborhoods, there are statistics that, where there, that there's more violence, more police calls, police presence. They're called to certain neighborhoods where there are more immigrants or Ethiopian Jews and in other neighborhoods that there's more likelihood of violence because the police are called there more. This incident, uh, it started with a street fight. It was an off to the officer, but there was we violence. Don't know this. We don't know this. I don't believe to the police. I don't believe to the police. The children that were there said that there wasn't any fight. There wasn't any danger to this police officer. But we see that the media is taking the announcement of the police in order to ask questions, serious questions about the case of a young child being shot by police officer in the neighborhood, not in Gaza, not in war, a young child. This is the question we need to ask. So, so uh, it's not about uh, um, uh, if there was a fight. And if there was a fight, you don't take a gun on children, especially as a police officer. And we also want to ask, what is the uh, the professional um, um, work that they do with these police officers? How a police officer turn into police officer? Maybe they don't get the right uh, training. Uh, training. Uh, Daniel, your thoughts? You've been. Uh, uh covering social movements and demonstrations for a long time as in your career as a journalist and a lawmaker. This movement, uh, what do you make of the size, how fast it's, it's coming uh, across the country? You know, I have a traumatic memory <clears throat> of the Ethiopian immigration. In the beginning of the 90s, uh, some few hundred Ethiopians landed in Israel. It was on Friday. And they were sent to Kirat Malachi a development town, uh, the beginning of the south of Israel. And I must say, I, sh I was shocked when I saw how the people from Kirat Malachi closed the city. So the new immigrants who just hours before kissed the land of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob came to Kirat Malachi and they were sent away. So he took the Prime Minister Rabin to beg the mayor, please let them in. I don't know if you're aware of this case. It was a shocking thing. So there are many of other cases. I know, but <laughs> it was for me a shocking thing. And I must say, it's not just facts. The fact that they feel like this, immigrants from Ethiopia, 20, 30, 40 years later, says that something is wrong with the Israeli society reception of these immigrants. In fact, you mentioned before, just uh, in your work professionally and personally, that police you know, they, they stop Ethiopians unfairly, the treatment is different, the attitude is different, there's a, a perception of, of guilt and aggression uh, because uh, the uh, police deal with Ethiopians. What do you want to see first? How does this change? Is it more training? Is it meetings between police commanders and Ethiopian community leaders like yourself? How do you change and improve? 
I think first we need to, uh, the, the state is aware and uh, recognize the fact that there is institutionalized racism in Israel toward Ethiopian Jews. We have it, we have this announcement since 2015. But the next thing is, in, instead of talking with us about how precious this community is and how we're working hard to integrate and how we want to learn your culture, you don't need, it's not about culture. It's about a violent uh, police, it's about racism and it's about profiling. We need to be aware to these problems and to teach these police officers that they are biased and they are part of a system that discriminates Ethiopians. We, they need to talk about it, to recognize it, and uh, until now what we see that this, uh, the police department do is learning the Ethiopian culture and the, the violence between uh, police officers against Ethiopian uh, youth, it's not relevant to any culture but to the culture of uh, racism in the police uh, department in Israel. And a very emotional scene, again the funeral just wrapping up a short Um, so you will find that that it the lane they could have been talking about the United States and police violence here in the United States. They could have been talking about institutional uh, racism. So what we're dealing with, uh, what they're dealing with in Israel is racism, white supremacy. Um, you know, Jew. The term Jew is actually someone who adheres to Judaism, and they are not a race. They are not. An ethnic group. It is a it, it is a religion that people adhere to. Just like if you practice Christianity, you're called a Christian, or if you uh, practice Islam, you're called a Muslim. Um, so, but um, the deception in the media um, has has you have you thinking um, that the problems in Israel have nothing to do with racism and what have you. And, and then even listening to some of that reporter, um, the host of that shows questions, same things that they say about black people. Oh, they're so violent. Their neighborhoods are riddled with crime and, and all this and that. And, you know, uh, they don't link poverty to crime. Uh, Ethiopian Israelis uh, uh, live disproportionately in poverty um, in, in their countries. And, and then, you know, just uh, just the uh, extrajudicial uh, uh, killings of citizens. And as you heard that one uh, white Jew who was on the panel say, he recalls when the is, uh, Ethiopians were first being brought there. Uh, in the 90s and how they were mistreated out the gate. They weren't seen as fellow Jews and what have you. They they were seen as black people. Um, I was reading reports like when they would donate uh, blood to the blood banks, they would throw out the Ethiopian uh, donor blood. Because, um, again, racism, white supremacy um, is institutionalized in Israel and and people have to just deal with that fact and not get emotional and and being misled by the media. Racism is at the root of this problem. Um, now, before I, I uh, transition to the story on on Iran, I will point this out um, about that population of, of Black Jews. Um, as you heard mentioned, that uh, Ethiopian uh, Israeli Defense Force uh, Jew was attacked and brutalized by police. Now, I say the same thing about African Americans. We 
are oppressed in this country. Um, you know, all the data points to that. And yet we still, and myself included, because I was a young man, not fully understanding, um, you know, what I was getting involved in. I was just looking for some college money. Didn't want to go in tremendous debt, put my mama in debt or anything like that. Um, but I joined the military. We joined the military and then we go and help white supremacist, a white supremacist government that's mistreating us go around the world and mistreat other people. Well, I had to say the same thing about the Ethiopian Jews. You join the IDF and then you're part of a military that's shooting unarmed protesters of of Palestinians. So that's, that's something, that's a contradiction. You can't practice justice and be for justice for yourself, but nobody else. It doesn't work that way. You can't protest against injustice against yourself while you're committing acts of injustice against others. That's the height of hypocrisy. So, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to add that that caveat, just as I have stated on past broadcasts, hey, you want reparations, you really want some movement on reparations and what have you, uh, threaten to boycott uh, the U.S. military. You know, that, that got uh, one of our black freedom fighters thrown out, thrown out the country and um, blacklisted, um, you know, to use their terms, uh, blacklisted. And uh, what was the brother's name? Oh, man, I, it was just on, on the tip of my tongue. Paul Robeson, um, I, I believe it was. Paul Robeson during the 50s and the 60s, and he was pointing out, you know, the uh, racist oppression of African Americans. And he was telling them, you know, maybe we need to stop joining the U.S. military and, and, and what have you since they want to keep mistreating us. And so, um, you know, he got charged with uh, anti-American some kind of law uh, that was on the books and what have you. But yet here we are uh, 40, 50, 60 years later, um, and we're still allowing our young people uh, to join the U.S. military to engage in American imperialism and the spread of white supremacy and corporatism, uh, wars that benefit the 1% and don't benefit the general population, although we should not be looking to benefit from depriving other people of their resources, their land, their liberty, and their freedom to choose their own government. So I'll leave it, I'll leave it there. Um, now, in closing, let me just take a short station identification break, um, and then we'll jump into this situation with Iran. As I stated um, on last week broadcast, one of the broadcasts, that war, World War Three could pop off at any minute. A war could break out in that region at any minute. It, it really, really could, and it's going to lead to a tremendous loss of life on both sides. So um, I'm going to take a station identification break and we'll uh, touch on this story, two stories coming out of Iran. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting Monday through Friday, beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. May Black Talk Radio, your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. No, it really isn't. Because, see, people are thinking in terms of, well, they want to brag about being black, which means that they are implying that there's something incorrect about being white. 
even though these are the creations of the creator. See, and then so everybody gets into this black pride thing or white pride thing, and people immediately start taking sides. It's not about taking sides based on black and white. It's about taking sides based on justice and non-justice. Well, that's what you're really aiming for. Being black doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice. And being white doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice, except you mean in, you believe in non-justice. And that doesn't make any difference what shade you are or how tall you are or who your cousin was or anything like that or what so-called nationality you have. Like a lot of people say that they pr- take pride in being an Englishman or take pride in being a Frenchman or take pride in being Afrocentric. Well, you're not supposed to be proud of any of those things if you don't believe in justice because these words mean nothing. No nationality means anything. And, and waving a flag if you don't believe in not mistreating people. You've got to believe in not mistreating people, and you've got to believe in helping people that need help the most. Otherwise, you don't even have any business breathing. And welcome back to BTR News. That was Neely Fuller Jr. Uh, speaking on justice versus non-justice and so if you yesterday was partaking in the 4th of July celebrations waving a flag and you don't believe in justice then that that means nothing that stands for nothing like he said it means you know except that you believe in practicing injustice against people how how can you be proud of something um that is engaged in human rights violations and crimes and, and what have you so uh switching gears um, as I've been stating, we need to keep a close eye on what's going on with um, the threats against Iran. Um, Iran is now countering those threats and actions taken against it um, by by saying it's going to start doing uh, some of the same things. So I don't know if you heard about the uh, British forces seizing an Iranian oil tanker that was headed to um, their ally, um, Syria, the Syria government, which has quite interestingly, I took note of this yesterday, disappeared from the news uh, all of a sudden. But um, from what I have uh, observed, that there's still fighting going on. Um, they still have not rooted out all those people that have been trying to overthrow the government, uh, supported by the U.S., supported by the U.K., supported by Saudi Arabia, and, and what have you. Um, but anyway, a Iranian uh, tanker, oil tanker, was seized by the British. This comes to you from the New York Post. A senior official in Iran's Revolutionary Guard said Friday it would be the Islamic Republic's duty to seize a British oil tanker in retaliation for the capture of an Iranian ship in Gibraltar by the Royal Marines. British forces seized the super tanker Grace One on Thursday for trying to take oil to Syria in violation of so-called EU sanctions, according to the UK's Telegraph. So the sanctions are again, um, here's the EU trying to overthrow a sovereign nation, been trying to do it for over a decade. Um, I remember Bush naming them in this axis of evil um, before they attacked Iraq, which had nothing to do with 9-11. But yeah, they've been trying, they've been on on their list to overthrow for a number of years. And, you know, as as many 
um, objective, truthful politicians and former politicians will tell you sanctions are an act of war. And sanctions punish the civilian population. It doesn't punish the people that's in charge. Um, so it goes on to say if Britain does not release the Iranian oil tanker, it is the Iranian authorities' duty to seize a British oil tanker. Major General Mohsen Razay said in a tweet, the Iranian foreign, foreign ministry also demanded that Britain immediately release the tanker, accusing London of acting at Washington's bidding, talking about the Trump administration. A senior ministry official described the UK move as unacceptable in the meeting with British ambassador Rob McCare. The ministry said in a statement Friday, he called for the immediate release of the oil tanker, given that it has been seized at the request of the U.S. based on the information currently available. U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton applauded the ship's interception. And again, (laughs) as one of um, the uh, progressive commentators have said about John Bolton, who's been paid by a group that was once listed on the U.S. uh, uh, list of terrorist groups um, to advocate for the overthrow of Iran. Um, But John Bolton has been trying to overthrow uh, Iran since John Bolton was a baby. So John Bolton said, excellent news. The UK has detained a super tanker Grace One laden with Iranian oil bound for Syria in violation of EU sanctions, he said in a tweet. So, you know, what does that have to do with us? That's EU sanctions. What they have to do with the United States, and that's what I mean by us. Um, Not me, not you, the listener, but the U.S. government. What does it have to do with them? It has nothing to do with them. Uh, but again, you know, when you're looking to stick your nose uh, in other people's business, you, you're likely trying to stir up some trouble. Um, so that's one report. Now, the more serious report, not to say that that's not serious, if they follow through on their retaliation and seize a British oil tanker, I, I imagine, um, you know, that a shooting war. Um, well, shooting wars already started. Um, but anyway. Now Iran is saying it's ready to resume making weapons-grade uranium because they are not happy with their EU partners in uh, helping them to avoid or circumvent U.S. sanctions. Although I did, you know, issue, uh, did a report last week about the, I forget the name of the financial uh, instrument that EU has set up. Um, with Iran to be able to uh, facilitate trade between European nations and Iranian circumventing uh, U.S. sanctions. But Iran saying they're not doing enough. And, you know, the U.S. sanctions are crippling uh, their country. And, you know, these sanctions include um, um, lack of availability to food and other goods, uh, lack of availability to medicine. Sanctions kill people, man. Uh, look at Venezuela, but they'll have you believe that U.S. sanctions have nothing to do with the destruction of the Venezuela economy. Well, um, that would be a lie. Uh, Iran has warned for months, by the way, this comes to you from Vice.com. Iran has warned for months that it is ready to begin producing weapons-grade uranium unless Europe helps it avoid crippling U.S. sanctions. Now Iranian President Hussein Rouhani says he's prepared to make good on that. Rouhani warned Wednesday that his government will begin increased enrichment of uranium 
on Sunday. Let me check the date of this. This just came out today. Um, They've already exceeded the parameters of the agreement that they had with these nations uh, when the United States, the Trump administration, uh, unilaterally just pulled out and then started putting these sanctions um, uh, on them. Um, so they have already enriched low-grade uranium past the amounts that, according to the agreement, that they were to have on hand. I think it was something like 600 pounds. Well, they've already gone over that. And it's not like they're trying to hide anything. They're telling you what they're going to do. Um, and they're allowing UN international atomic inspectors in the country to confirm everything. Just like they have been confirming that Iran had been adhering to the agree- agreement. So um, the warning comes just two days after Iran confirmed it had breached the stockpile limits of low-enriched uranium imposed by the 2015 nuclear agreement. It's signed with the United States and other world powers. Uh, Tehran and Washington have been involved in an increasingly bitter war of words since the U.S. pulled out of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action in May of 2018. That conflict has threatened to spill over into an all-out war in recent weeks after Washington blamed Tehran for attacking oil tankers in the Gulf and Iran shot down a U.S. spy drone it claimed into this airspace. Um, As I was uh, trying to find which uh, outlet I was going to provide a report from. Um, one of them I came across, uh, Western media. It wasn't U.S. media, but it was still Western media nonetheless. Um, and they were totally blaming Iran for the attack on the Japanese oil tanker, which made absolutely no sense since they were meeting with the Japanese prime minister in a historic meeting who was in Iran at the time. So let's sabotage our own meeting with the Japanese prime minister by uh, blowing a ho- uh, trying to sink a uh, uh, one of their oil tankers. Uh, makes no no sense whatsoever. No evidence has been provided either way, uh, but yet certain outlets will just simply blame everything uh, of those attacks um, on those ships on uh, Iran. When it seems to me that um, I, I would be taking a look at Saudi Arabia or the CIA or, or any other of its assets out there trying to sabotage, uh, um, you know, and start this war. Now, Rouhani's nuclear threat is designed to force the remaining signatories of of the fast unraveling accord to help the country circumvent U.S. sanctions, which are causing severe economic hardship for Iran's citizens. So whenever they tell you they're doing this to free some people, yeah, that's how you free some people. Uh, You deprive them of food. You deprive them of medicine um, because you want them um, to rise up and overthrow their own governments. This is standard operating procedure uh, for imperialism and white supremacy. Uh, Rouhani is specifically appealing to France, Germany, and the UK and the remaining EU signatories to the deal. Um, also, uh, Russia and China's a signatory to this to this deal. Our adv- advice to Europe and the United States is to go back to the logic and to the negotiating table. Rouhani told a cabinet meeting, according to the IRIB news agency, go back to understanding, to respecting the law and resolutions of the UN Security Council. Under those conditions. All of us can abide by the nuclear deal. But if that doesn't happen, Rouhani warned, Iran was ready to take the next step to produce uranium in any amount that we want 
any amount that is required. Under the JCPOA, Iran is limited to producing low-enriched uranium of no more than 3.67%, which is enough for nuclear power plants, but far below the 90% needed for weapons production. Rouhani said Iran will breach that 3.67% limit on Sunday, but in but didn't indicate how high Iran's uranium enrichment would go. And of course, Trump's response has been less than codified has been belligerent and saying Iranians are playing with fire and who knows how many more troops they may send uh, what have you and I'm going to tell you as a veteran of the Gulf War um, that this situation is a lot different in US troops who are stationed in Iraq who are, are there without the permission of the Iraqi government, who has asked them several times to pull their troops out of the, out of Iraq and stop uh, occupying their country, um, the Iranian, uh, excuse me, the Iraqi government is under the uh, uh, dominant population of Shia Muslims' control. Um, um, uh, what's, what was his name? Saddam Hussein, who was a Sunni. Uh, Muslim and his party, the Baptist Party, was dominated by Sunnis, which are a minority in Iraq, and they use brutal means to, um, you know, keep the Shias under their foot. And so now the tables have turned uh, since the overthrow of Saddam, and now um, the Shias are in political power after elections, and, and they have called on um, the U.S. government to withdraw its troops. And they are aligned with Iran, which is predominantly uh, uh, Shia. Uh, it practices Shia Islam, that branch of Islam. Um, many of their militias have been trained by Iranians, uh, just like you know you have Iranians in inside of, of Syria. So you don't have you don't have a country um, that you can uh, base U.S. troops in. That where they're not surrounded by enemies, this man they could get them U, U.S. troops slaughtered in Iraq if they try to stage attacks on Iran. That's what's going to happen. That's what I foresee based on uh, my knowledge of of and from my experience of participating in the Gulf War, which I wish I had not done. Um, but you know I can't change the past. But I'm very concerned. Uh, for for U.S. troops, um, but at the same time, you signed up for it. You signed up for it, and it's going to be on the civilian population uh, here in the United States to um, try to prevent um, these U.S. soldiers from being led to slaughter, because that's what's going to happen. You know, uh, arrogance can make a country feel overconfident, and just like how. Remember Cheney was saying about the uh, Gulf War, oh, it's going to be a cakewalk and they're going to greet us as liberators and yet we're still there. We're still there and created new problems with ISIS and, and what have you. So things are, for lack of a better term, heating up in that region. And as I state at any moment, um, a wider shooting war can pop off and it's not going to be good for anyone and it's going to impact those outside 
of the theater of war because of the uh, strategic location that it is in. Um, we could see oil prices, you know, really escalate, and then the price of gas escalates here in the United States and other places throughout the world. Then the price of food goes up because you need the gas for transportation, and they're going to pass that cost, uh, extra cost on to consumers. So it will have an impact on us, okay, as well. All right, so that's my report for today. Um, I'll be back on Monday with another broadcast of BTR News. Please continue to support all the programming and digital radio stations on blacktalkradionetwork.com by making a a tax-deductible donation to the Black Talk Media Project, which manages the Black Talk Radio Network, which also has other projects, other platforms where it is assisting uh, people engaged in independent black media. Um, it is the weekend, so lots of things happen on the weekend. Don't drink and drive. Don't drug and drive. Um, be wary of the slave catcher checkpoints out there. Uh, do not give slave catchers any reason whatsoever to start the process of putting you into modern-day slavery and human trafficking via the U.S. criminal justice system as called for by the 13th Amendment. Be safe out there. And peace and blessings to all.